As we now pick up the story in Acts after chapter 2 and move into chapter 3, 4 and 5, we now begin to see the implications of the action of the Spirit in the life of the early followers of Jesus in the Jerusalem community. We find acts of healing, we find speeches, we find resistance even by the religious leadership of Jerusalem. However, despite that, the community flourishes, it grows, there's a spirit of boldness in this. And right at the end of chapter 5, as we conclude this section, we hear an every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So the section ends, despite all the difficulties, on this note, this positive note of praise of God and a, an ongoing life that is not hindered by the negativity or difficulties that this community of Jesus followers, this Jerusalem community of Jesus followers experience. We now move into uh, Acts chapter 3 and following, picking up then the themes that have emerged in the previous two chapters, the story of his ascension, uh, the rehabilitation of the Twelve, the coming of the Spirit in Pentecost and Peter's major speech, and then the summaries that Luke offers, the idyllic summaries of Jesus' own community. As we move into chapter 3, we now look at uh, how the, the life, the spirit life, the spirit-empowered community of disciples share that life. And it looks back again, uh, when we look at what happens in chapter 3 and Peter's action, Peter and John, they go up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, in chapter 3, verse 1, and they discover a person there who's lame from birth, uh, and he's asking for alms. Peter looks at him with John, says Luke. So it's a communal, it's a discipled communal act they do to the, uh, to the lame person. Uh, and they say, look at us. The expectation from the character is that he's going to get something of alms. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. This is the sentence in verse 6. So what Peter and John emulated two things. First of all, the characteristic of material asceticism, a theme that has already been part of the gospel. The gospel story where Jesus instructs the disciples is to let go of wealth. But a second point about this, uh, when uh, in the aftermath of that saying, when they take him by the right hand and raise him up, uh, his feet and ankles are made strong, and then he 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 gets up and he he praises God and uh, he he jumps around. This uh, the obvious joy the person experiences is quite clear. But what the story uh, reflects is, of course, a similar action of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. What happens in the Gospel by Jesus now continues in the story 
of the followers of Jesus as a result of the story in Acts and the Pentecost experience. Uh, one Lucan scholar by the name of David Peterson, writing in his The Acts of the Apostles uh, in 2009, page 48, talks about the ascension. And I want to go back to this because it's a very important insight that Peterson offers. He says, the ascension creates for Jesus the possibility of an altogether different form of presence. The heavenly Christ influences Luke's story at pivotal points, sending the Spirit in chapter 233, which is what we've already reflected on in our last session, inspiring preachers in chapter 7, 55 to 56, calling and commissioning his witnesses in chapter 9, verses 5 to 6, and in chapter 22, verses 14 to 15 and 17 to 21, healing the sick in chapter 9, 34, and using his servants to accomplish his saving purpose in the world in chapter 26, verses 16 to 18. And then Peterson finally sums this up. He says, the cumulative effect of such references is that the heavenly Christ is a key character within the book of Acts. So this presence of the, of the ascended Jesus continues. We have it here demonstrated in, in chapter 3 of Acts with the healing of this uh, character who is uh, paralyzed. The speech that follows on from this again is a way that Luke summarizes the story of Israel and uh, in the words that Peter and John address to those who gathered in the portico of Solomon on the temple is how the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of the ancestors, become glorified in Jesus, who they uh, repeat, uh, and then they say this to the audience in verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So there's this recognition of the gospel narrative that gets summed up in the speech of uh, Simon, Peter and John. And it's the faith in the risen one, says Peter, that this person here uh, has come to perfect health in the presence of you all. And as Peter's sermon continues, he pulls together the story again of Israel, similar to what we've seen earlier in the temple, and applies it to the present reality and to the recognition of the ongoing presence of the risen one uh, within the community of disciples. In chapter 4, uh, as they're talking, as uh, Peter and John are announcing what's happening, uh, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, says, writes Luke in verse 1. They're annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming uh, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them and decided to keep them under custody until the following day. And then Luke writes another little summary in chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men, 
it's quite clear in, in Greek it's androi and um, uh, andros uh, males came to about 5,000 the the the, rec the statement of the males of the men came to 5,000 is a statement if one male represents a household head we have actually an amazing an amazing group an amazing growth in the Jesus movement so this is a theological statement not a, a literal statement that the despite the opposition and despite uh, the the negativity that uh, the followers of Jesus are rece receiving from the formal Jewish leadership the f the movement itself is going to is going to be successful so what flows on then from this uh, capture this uh, putting John and Peter under guard is a conference where Annas and Caiaphas the high priest and other members of the leadership of the elders and the scribes gather together and they inquire as to um, what by what power or by what name do you do this in verse um, in verse 7 of chapter 4 which of course provides Peter with the great opportunity to again repeat the primary narrative that has gone on that has been replicated in the previous speeches but what happens uh, in verse 13 is a wonderful summary of how God works with ordinary people Luke writes now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated commoners they wondered and they recognized that they had been with Jesus so it's the action of God in these ordinary people who act with 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 a certain courage and confidence because of the presence of the Spirit but again it underscores the reality that Jesus though ascended is present with these people so they decide uh, after conferring together uh, decide to release them uh, and they uh, uh, allow them to return back to their own community in verse 21 when they had further threatened them they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people for everyone praised God for what had happened and the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old so that little statement kind of completes this scene of healing and the and the preaching consequences that gets us that offers a summary of Lucan theology of God's action so John and Peter after their release they go back to their friends uh, and they talk about what had happened uh, and as a consequence of that the community the household of Jesus followers uh, they sing they come together they praise God as the sovereign Lord who did make the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in it so it, it acknowledges this creator they acknowledge this creator God and they recognize that the power of God continues to be with them and as they speak all this with uh, Luke says in verse uh, end of verse 29 with all boldness um, 
And when they prayed, in verse 31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. It's like a, a mini Pentecost. It's a reminder that despite the suffering and yet the confidence and the ability of these men to preach the word of God in difficult and unusual circumstances, they're filled. Uh, the Spirit comes to remind them that the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is present. So in verse 31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. And again, the word is with boldness. Parisias. It's going to, that word is going to emerge a few times throughout Acts. This sense of being confident in the action of God uh, in the presence of this community of people gathered. After the Pentecost scene uh, that we had earlier in chapter 2, there's a, a summary a summary of the characteristics and the life of the Jerusalem community of Jesus' believers. Well, a similar characteristic summary occurs right now after this mini, mini um, Pentecost. In verse 32 of chapter 4, Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all there was not a needy person among them for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the Apostles feet and distribution was made to each as many had need. And then we get the example, so that wonderful summary of holding everything in common, not possessing, we get then the names of those who, would, who uh, emulated this virtue. So in verse 36, as we come to the end of chapter 4, thus says, uh, writes Luke, Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The introduction of Barnabas now into the story is important because Barnabas is going to be a key uh, companion to Saul, later called Paul, when they begin their first missionary journey. It's Barnabas who's going to be important to bring Saul, or later Paul, into the community of the disciples and endorse his future ministry after, his, uh, after the conversion, the so-called conversion he has to Jesus. As we move into chapter 5, we see how this generosity is played out or is not played out we have a contrasting image with the story of Annas and his wife Sapphira who sold a piece of land and with his wife's knowledge they kept back some of the proceeds and brought them only apart and laid it at the Apostles feet well, this is not received warmly, let's say, by the community of Jesus' disciples, by its leadership. And uh, because they lie, lied, they've lied 
to the community, but also, more importantly, they have lied to God. Um, they're both struck down and they die. And then their bodies are carted away. The story, of course, needs to be ref reflected on with a certain awareness that we're not dealing with uh, live streaming here, but an attitude of greed which goes against the spirit of the gospel and goes against the spirit, the characteristic that we've just heard after that little mini Pentecost, the characteristic of generosity. The particular verse that's of concern here is in chapter 5, verse 4, where Peter speaks to Ananias and says about the property, while, and this is the Revised Standard Version's translation, while it remained unsold, did it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. Perhaps a better translation of this verse is this. Surely while it, that is the money you held back from the sale, remained in your possession, was it still yours? And having sold it, did it remain in your control? How did you contrive this deed in your heart? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. The, the whole issue here is who owns this land? Who is the real owner of Earth's goods? So while property and goods belong to elite members of the Jerusalem Jesus movement, and we know this, the gospel teaching from Jesus, particularly in Luke 12:20, emphasizes that such ownership was rather an act of divine entrustment for the distribution to all who are in need. So the implication of what Anna, Ananias and Sapphira have done is they've held back their property uh, and have done so in a way that's been deceptive. So rather than giving over all their goods for the distribution by the apostolic community, uh, their deception has revealed their greed and therefore that calls on uh, the judgment reflected in their deaths. Uh, one scholar, uh, Robert Tannehill, suggests that their death clearly emphasizes the seriousness of the threat of the church represented by Annas and Sapphira. It's a threat of a particular kind, he says, one that rises from inside that is deceptive and attacks a central aspect of church life as presented by the narrator. That is the heartfelt devotion to other demonstrated in the community of goods. So while this may seem a small scene, the consequences are enormous. So... Um, that indicates what's happening then indicates that while everything seems to be idyllic, that is to say, we get these from the, the summaries we've already seen, the two of them we've already seen, we also note that things aren't so idyllic, that there is internal divisions, there are internal issues that are starting to surface. 
So after this little scene uh, in chapter 5, 12 to 16, we do get another sense of the, of the healing energy that emerges from the apostolic community. But this again uh, brings forth persecution of the apostles in chapter 5, 17 and following, where uh, they are brought uh, before uh, the party of the Sadducees they're arrested, they're put into a prison, and uh, <laughs> in verse 19, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so they went to the temple and began to preach. In other words, nothing is going to hold up the action of God, the power of God acting within the community. This little image of being released by the angel from prison is a very good indicator of that. And um, their release then flags another response from the religious leadership. In 27 and following, the high priest questions them. We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, that is to say, the blood of Jesus. And that gives then an opportunity for Peter again and the apostles in 29 following to recognize that they had to act according to what God wanted them to say. So after a moment of consultation and a moment of wisdom by the Sanhedrin and by Gamaliel, uh, they decided to release uh, the disciples because if they can't go against if this is a, a human action a human movement then it's going to fail but if it's a, a movement from god you can't do anything against it you might even be found says gamaliel opposing god in verse 39 so they took this advice they charged them again not to speak in the name of jesus they let them go and so the disciples left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the chapter ends in verse 42. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So it ends on this, again, this note of uh, praise, uh, awareness of the presence of God, the action of Jesus still being present with them that allows them to be released and to give uh, to give praise to God as they continue to preach both and act both within the temple context and also in their home context uh, reflecting uh, the, the 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 cultural and social context in which the Jesus movement has its origins in Jerusalem As we look back over these three chapters, three, four, and five, what emerges is a very clear sense that no suffering, no persecution is going to control or contain God's word. What appears, what emerges in this section of Acts is the fidelity of the disciples 
to the call that God has given them through Jesus to preach the word and to proclaim the gospel. While there is resistance, while the religious authorities seem to be unable to do anything against them, the, the quality of this preaching continues to allow the praise of God to occur. Uh, the aspect of generosity becomes one of the signs of the growth of this community, one of the great qualities of discipleship lived out in Jerusalem. And importantly, it allows these followers of Jesus to reveal who God is and what they are called to do. So we await what occurs in the next chapter, chapter 6, where some issues again immediately begin to emerge. Issues that we have found already in this chapter where everything that seems to be idyllic is not quite so idyllic. Thank you.